welcome to Your Best Riding Life, an extension of the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Riders Conference held in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb. Each week I bring you tips and strategies from experts in the writing and publishing industry to help you excel in your craft. I am so very glad that you're listening in today. Today we're sharing writing speculative fiction. I know there's a lot of you out there that have been waiting for this episode. My industry expert is none other than Amy A.C. Williams. Oh, so good to have Amy back on with us. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Amy is a coffee-drinking, sushi-eating, storytelling nerd who loves cats, country living, and all things Japanese. She'd rather be barefoot, but if she isn't, I can attest to this, her socks will never match. With books in space opera, superhero adventure, and action comedy, Amy loves helping authors discover the genre-defying joy of speaking truth in fiction. She is amazing. So good to have you here, Amy, with us. Thank you. Thank you for being on Your Best Writing Life. Thanks for having me, Miss Linda. It's wonderful to be back. Oh, so, so good. And we're going to be talking about writing speculative fiction. And I know that there's a lot of misnomers out there. There's, I mean, there's a lot of Christians that are like, what? No, I can't write it. I must, I must speak truth. And I'm not being flippant, even though it sounds like I am a little bit. I think that we might be strangled a little bit by the enemy who wants to push down our creativity. And I know you're going to talk about why Christians should consider writing speculative fiction, but that'll be towards the end of our conversation today. So let's just start off with what are the genre expectations for speculative fiction? Yes, that is a very good question. And I think it's a very important question because a lot of people don't actually think about the fact that every time you say that a book is in a genre, you are making a promise to your readers that it will include certain elements that you only can find in that genre. It's like if you say that you're writing a romance book, but there's no romance, like there, there's the guy doesn't end up with the girl or there's no love story. It, it's really disappointing and you really upset your readers. So it's important to understand that there is a list of genre expectations for speculative fiction as a whole. And I know specifically in the Christian market, we refer to speculative fiction, which is sometimes called, I think it's sometimes called visionary fiction in some cases. It can be called a lot of different things, but I've mostly ever, only ever heard of it in the Christian market as speculative fiction. And it includes science fiction, fantasy, and I believe horror at some, uh, is also lumped into the speculative fiction genre. And those are all very broad. And that's that's part of the problem with speculative fiction is the term speculative is this big, broad grouping of stories and types of stories, which is three or four big, broad categories of stories that are that are in that genre. So to understand the expectations, you have to understand each individual genre. And we don't have time to go over them individually. Maybe that's something that we can do in more detail at some other time. But for right now, um, I'm just going to quickly highlight 
the the ones that I'm aware of are the ones that I know about. And so when you've got science fiction, let's say, because when you think speculative fiction, you usually think science fiction. But there are multiple types of science fiction. There's hard science fiction. There's soft science fiction. There's space opera. There's steampunk. There's cyberpunk. There's all sorts of different genres fit under the umbrella of science fiction. And so, for example, if you're if you're doing a hard science fiction book, that's going to be books like Isaac Asimov's Foundation books or um, some of, I believe, Andy Weir's The Martian is a good example of hard science fiction um, because it is focused not necessarily on the relationships between characters, but on the technology that is that is required for the story. So if you're writing a hard sci-fi book, you gotta have technology and your story has to be focused on technology. If you're writing a soft science fiction book, it is going to be more about the relationships set in a futuristic civilization. It's gonna be more along the lines of how governments work together or how relationships work or if you're if you're writing space opera which space opera is it's the most hysterical name and it used to actually be derogatory it used to be used as a as sort of a an insult oh that's a space opera because it's set in space and it's melodramatic and overly dramatic like like soap operas are but it actually has come to represent a very large portion of the writing industry. So probably one of the best known space operas that's out there is Star Wars. It is usually relationship based. It is usually epic in scale with space battles and sometimes an element of not exactly magic, but something that isn't exactly always able to be understood. In Star Wars case, it's the it's the force. That would be an example of space opera. But if you say that you're going to write a space opera book, you gotta have a spaceship. You gotta have space battles. Generally, there is a romantic subplot. You can't write a space opera novel without those elements. Moving away from science fiction and going into fantasy. If you're writing fantasy, you can choose, again, from a huge variety of different subgenres. You've got high fantasy, you've got low fantasy, you've got urban fantasy, you've got even superhero stories actually generally fall under the, the fantasy category. But most of the time, what you're going to have in a fantasy story is epic, grand scale world building, sometimes different languages. Yes, you can have, if you're going to have aliens, aliens generally is relegated to science fiction. But unless you're talking about a magical creature like an elf or a dwarf or any sort of the, the Tolkien-esque type creatures, uh, talking animals would fit under fantasy. Again, unless you present them in a way that they are alien, then that can go into science fiction. So there are some lines that are blurred, but those are expectations for that genre. And it's important to recognize that, okay, if you're going to write a hard sci-fi book and you want to reach an audience that only reads hard sci-fi, you got to keep the emotion out of it. The story should not be focused on what the characters are feeling toward each other. 
it needs to be more along the lines of what is happening in the adventure, what is happening in the action, and then what is happening as far as how technology comes into play. A lot of them are going to be about identity. A lot of them are going to be about political situations. Um, again, Asimov is a really good example of hard sci-fi. Um, whereas if you're talking fantasy, there's always usually going to be a magical element. Now, while I say that, there's always there's always a uh, exception because yeah, there is a whole batch of books that you could call them non-magic fantasy where they are books that are set in a fantasy world, but they have no magic in them. Okay. And those are very creative and, and lots of fun to read. One of my, one of my favorite authors focuses on non-magic fantasy. And uh, it's a fascinating way to look at storytelling where you, where everything's set in a fantasy world, but there's no magic involved. So that's fun. I guess if, if you want to boil down what speculative fiction is, it's the weird stuff. It's it's the stuff that doesn't quite fit everywhere else. And now I know many years ago, the lines between genres used to be clearer. And I don't know when this trend of, of crossing genres started. I'm glad it did because I love to cross genres. And like I've got I have an idea for a book that's kind of been on the back burner for a while that basically is the Princess Bride meets Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's oh, it's just like a space opera with the story of the Princess Bride with a heist involved. I mean, I just think that sounds like so much fun. But that's a that's a weird thing that doesn't quite fit in one genre. So it's a good idea, though, to pick your one main genre and then you can put other elements in. The sky is the limit, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You can you can right. go as far and as high as your imagination will take you but what you should remember when you're writing speculative fiction is that you need to make sure there's an audience for it because you still have to market it and that's and that is where some of the trouble comes because we don't we want to be artists you know we don't want to be constrained in a box we want we want to just be free and and create whatever we want to create and there's nothing wrong with that but you still have to be able to classify it in a way so that people will understand what you've given them you know go as wild go wild go crazy as as much as you want but still have an idea of how you're going to market it otherwise you're you may not be able to sell it uh which okay. you know that's part that's of, important part of what we part of what we need to do this is really good, and I think you've kind of opened up a little bit of a box here, Amy, because I, you know... As I, long you as may it's not Pandora's, here. we'll be okay. No, <laughs> no, we're not doing Pandora's, but that would be a great uh, fantasy thing that would be there. Um, what we would like, though, is probably I'll have you come back on, and we can really dive into some of the deeper into the genres, and I think yeah. that would help. But folks, this is what I'm going to ask you. What genres are you writing in? What area of speculative fiction are you writing in? We have an extra special, extra special opportunity that I'm going to talk to you about at the end of today's broadcast. And I think you're going to love it, but I need you to be considering that. What are the genres that you're considering and what questions do you have about those? We're going to put that to good use here in just a, just a little bit. 
All right, so you've given us kind of a little bit of a broad brush. And now let's look at the area of world building. And goodness yes. sakes, girl, I know that we would almost have to do an, an entire episode on world building. Yeah. But give us that little little bit of a what is, okay? What is yes. world building? Because I think that messes with people's heads. It does. It does. I have had conversations with people before who have this idea that fantasy and science fiction require world building and they don't know how to build worlds so they can't write speculative fiction. And the truth is, if you have ever written a novel, you have built a world. Even if it's mm. contemporary, even if it's even if it's a historical novel, you are still having to craft a setting and describe how your characters interact with the world that your story is in. And right. that is world building. And so it doesn't matter if you're, you know, on a spaceship that's floating around in some nebula out in the middle of nowhere. That is as, you know, legitimate a world building scenario as the FBI field office here in Wichita, Kansas, you know. Both of them require you as an author to explain and help your reader visualize how the characters are interacting with the world. And so, so that's all let me that, ask that's you, all that world building is. Okay, let me ask you this then. When I'm thinking of you when you say you have if if it's on a ship, so I'm kind of looking at it like, well, then I'm walking them down the halls of the ship. I'm helping them to understand that this is the gadget that opens the door. And this is who's, if there's someone speaking into us in the ship, the intercom, who that is and why they are. So I'm really just painting this picture. So if they close their eyes, they can place themselves there. Yes. And doing it in a step-by-step -step as we go through, which is exactly what you're saying with any fiction book that I've ever read, when the author shows me where I'm at through their words. I experience their writing at a heightened level. It, it can be very powerful when you use your setting to enhance your character's experiences. When, when you allow your reader to experience a world through your words, rather than just coming along and telling us A, B, and C, giving us the opportunity to be in your character's head, and experiencing the world through their eyes. That's powerful. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to do, but it's powerful. And world building is one of my favorite things. I love building fantasy worlds. I can build contemporary worlds if I have to. I mean, it's, it's, I've, I've done it. I can do it. It's fine. But I have a really wild imagination and I love to ask what if. That's where a lot of my world building always comes in. I will start with the world as I know it, but I'll ask, what if? What if this happened differently? One of one of my favorite steampunk style novels is a it's a it's a book called Bone Shaker by uh, um, Cherie Priest, and it takes place in an alternate history United States where the question was, what would have happened if the South received reinforcements from France. What would have happened if Abraham Lincoln had not been killed 
but had been injured, would this the Civil War would have gone on much longer. And so as a result, the the rest of the country wasn't settled. So by the time this book is taking place, 1865, 1866, the state of Washington is still a territory. The entire world looks different. Trade is different. Technology is different. And when you put those sort of, I don't know, landmarks in place when you where you change history, it allows you to imagine how different the world might look. But it starts by asking, what if? Um, what if faster than light travel was possible right now? What if we had a colony on the moon or a colony on Mars? What would it be like? What would it, uh, you know, what, how would you dress? Is there oxygen? What's the gravity like? When you're writing science fiction, even if it is space opera, tell you what, NASA.gov becomes one of your favorite websites because you can, you can look up all of the, the stats and the information about different planets and how th- it's, I'm getting really detailed here. You don't actually have to go this detailed. <laughs> but so don't let that intimidate you. <laughs> if if you want to try writing a speculative fiction novel, if you want to try writing a science fiction novel, come up with an idea of what your spaceship looks like and come up with an idea of how it gets from point A to point B. And if you're not worried about technology just give yourself a crew of people who are fighting with each other and then give them a conflict and a goal to achieve and show us how they either resolve it or they fail and there's your story right there Mm. um but there is some research you can do but there are questions that you can ask yourself like if it's a spaceship do that how do they breathe where does their oxygen come from do they have a greenhouse where they grow plants that provides oxygen for them? Do they, or do they have an oxygen supply? If they have an oxygen supply, that's super flammable. So how, how do their engines work? And it's just one question will lead to the next and keep track of your questions and keep track of your answers and then just layer. Plug, plug them in. Yeah. When it comes to, to fantasy world building, one of my favorite things to do is to take two cultures, two separate cultures, say on earth that I know a little bit about and put them together. Let's just pick two of my favorite cultures. I love, I love Japanese culture. I find it fascinating and always have, but I am very Scottish. And so most of my family is Scottish. And so I love the idea of taking Scottish people, maybe a Scottish language or a, or a Scottish derivative of the language and putting them in a Japanese culture. Mm. So you've got samurai armor with kilts. You've got uh, the honor of a family, like the family honor, but with uh, maybe maybe you could look at it from... England and Scotland were at at war with each other, but you could do some of the family divisions and the class divisions with a, with a war between, you know, two, two tribes on a, on a little Island in food, haggis, 
you can do haggis, eating haggis with fish or something. It's there are lots of opportunities, and that's a very easy way to just take two cultures that you you know something about and put them together, and then make something new out of it. Um, you of course, and of course, you want to be you want to be sensitive, and you want to be careful, and you don't ever want to you know offend anyone. So you want to be sensitive to how you represent a culture, but what I like about this is it's taking elements of some cultures and making something new out of it into a fantasy world. And so I feel in that way, you can, you can bring honor to both cultures um, by making them a starting point for something brand new and pull out the, the positive elements of both cultures and use that in a different way. That's one way you can do it. Like I've got one of my fantasies. I use a, a Hindi martial arts style as the primary fighting style. And I did that because it's old. It's the oldest martial art in the world. And I wanted it to come to come from that. So get inspiration from the world around you and layer it together and make something new out of it. And that's, that's one of the fun things about world building. That is, I'm, I'm getting a lot of visuals in my mind where I could almost put us on pause and start using sticky notes all over the place. So this is, this is really good. I like it. And again, folks, what we're looking, we're looking today at a little bit of a broad brush, because if we want to go into detail, we can certainly come back, have Amy come back, go into more detail in this area. And that's what we want to hear from you. What more do you want to hear from? Because we have a few more things that we're going to cover during this episode. This was good. You talked to us a little bit about the genre expectations of speculative fiction, and then uh, touched on world building. And you did mention aliens. Yes. And I think that's where a lot of people, they think, well, science, sci-fi is aliens. Sci-fi, something's going to come out of someone's stomach someplace, or there's <laughs> going to be a plant that's going to come out and it's going to do a something, something here. I think you said that you can write sci-fi without aliens. What, what does that look like? One of my favorite, all-time favorite science fiction series is a television show called Firefly and Firefly was I mean it was a true it was it was a true visionary type of a story um it was so far ahead of its time it made it one season and then they got canceled and we're all still salty about it um but it is it's an extraordinary series and it's one of the ones that I always recommend that people that people watch if you're if you're interested in speculative fiction especially writing science fiction slash space opera for the general market firefly is a really good one to watch the world building is wonderful the characters are great and it has not a single alien in it it's all regular human people living on moons and planets in a different solar system and they don't they don't have any alien civilizations they're 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 all just people you could kind of call it a space western honestly it really is more like a western just set in space than than anything else um but it has spaceships and there are some laser guns and there is some more advanced technology but really the point of that series is you got nine separate people living on a, a falling apart spaceship trying to survive, but they are, it's all about how they see the the world in different ways. It's nine different perspectives from nine different people trying to survive together. 
and it's brilliant. It's brilliantly done. And Firefly actually has one of the best examples of a Christian character that I have ever seen, ever done. And it's it's remarkable because the guy who created the series is an atheist. But yet he was able to create this extraordinarily beautiful Christian character who everyone loves, but he doesn't compromise on his beliefs. And it's, it's, I love it. It's my favorite thing. My husband, Sam, would concur with you. I will tell you, Sam has been like, what happened to them? He goes, it's the ones that we really like that they cancel the series on. And we're waiting for that to come back because he really liked the interaction of that that show. So great example of that. You don't have to have aliens to write science fiction. I mean, you can. If if you want to write aliens, go for it. I mean, that's Star Trek. Oh, Star Trek. Um, But if you are not comfortable writing aliens, you don't have to write aliens. You can still write science fiction. And kind of piggybacking on that, if you're trying to write fantasy, you don't have to use magic or you don't have to speak like a dozen languages. (laughs) You're kidding. I really thought we had to... Oh my goodness. I thought we had to go into the earth for our start. Well, I mean, you can't really practicing that. (laughs) No, there's, there is this prevailing idea that again, if you want to be an epic fantasy writer, you have to create your own language. You have to do like what Tolkien did and, and actually, develop a speakable language if that was a requirement none of us would write fantasy i mean that's that's just over and above if you feel the need in your world building to use foreign terms or or an alien language or a or a magical language or whatever there are lots of opportunities lots of places where you can find resources that you can use without having to create your own language. Um, Really, really good example would be the Harry Potter books. JK Rowling, when she was coming up with all the spells and everything that they use, um, a lot of people get really up in arms like, Oh, she's using magic language and that's real magic. Oh, and it's, it's not what, what she did is she took Latin terms and some old English terms and mash them up together to create her magic spell language like Expelliarmus. And that actually knocks a weapon out of somebody's hand. But if you think about it, expel, arm, it's two Latin words that are put together. I think that's Latin, I'm assuming. Um, and then there was a like there's a arresto momentum, which stops somebody from falling. And there, this levy corpus, it makes you hover. I mean, so it's, she just took a lot of Latin and, and used that and leveraged her understanding of Latin to create a magical language. And there's nothing saying that you can't do that either. Just grab a word and jam it together. Like I've got, I've got on my shelf back here, I have a, I have a Japanese dictionary that for a lot of my, a lot of my Japanese fantasy stuff that I do, I just grab some Japanese terms and, and use them. It's a fantasy. So I'm, I'm using part of the language that is for real. And then I'm, I'm using it to represent something different. And again, that's, that's said with all honor and respect to the Japanese language. 
and it's certainly not intended to be offensive in any way, but it, I, f- I feel like it allows me to highlight a part of a culture that I love and still be able to write a fantasy world, uh, fantasy about it. It's, I think it's fun. So you don't have to be a linguist. Yay. I'm so glad. Yay. I mean, darn, I could have done a lot with that, but I'm so glad. I really am glad. <laughs> I mean, and if you, if you want to go for it. You know, sure. if, if, if that it, it, floats your boat, go for it. Uh, it, it, it doesn't float mine. <laughs> there it is. All right. So here's a question we posed at the beginning of today's episode. Why should Christians write speculative fiction? That's I, the core of, it, yeah. of everything. Yeah. And there are several reasons why I believe it's important for Christians to write speculative fiction. You know, ultimately, ultimately, it's a decision that you have to make for yourself. It's a decision that for whatever you are called to do, you should write what you're called to write, you know? And that's, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to be one of those people who, who tells people you can or can't or should or shouldn't be writing right. something, but right. I, because I do believe that the Lord calls us to specific stories where we are in our culture right now, we have seen an unprecedented rise in popularity of speculative stories. Whether you're talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the DC Universe or all of these comic book movies and all of these science fiction movies, spaceship movies, and with the advent of all of the streaming technology, you see even more science fiction and fantasy popping up on streaming channels, not necessarily even in theaters. Speculative fiction is something that resonates with people. And when we find something that resonates with people that the world connects with, I feel as believers that we should look for opportunities to leverage that. When it comes right down to it, the greatest storyteller in the world was Christ. He Amen. he is the most amazing storyteller in the world. And so much of storytelling I've learned from him. I used to know people who who just didn't believe in fiction at all. They were like, you shouldn't, fiction is a no-no. I don't read fiction. We only read true things. And there's there's conversations that can be had about that. And then there are people who I who I know who refuse to read anything speculative, which that is absolutely, you're right. You know, if your beliefs or your convictions make you feel like you shouldn't be reading something, don't read it. We're all free to do whatever we want. You know, we are, we are free because Christ has set us free. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't, I don't want to be one of the types that comes along and is, and is very legalistic in what you can and can't do. But I really think that speculative fiction is something that Christians need to be involved in because it is a way to tell stories that the world will connect with. And it's a way to start conversations. Whenever I sit down to talk to somebody about books and stories, if I can lead off with what Hogwarts house are you in? And if you have not read the Harry Potter books, you will have no idea what that is a reference to. You, you, you won't know, but if you know, you understand what it means. And immediately with one question, you can 
make a relationship, a connection with another person who you may not know anything else about. What's your Hogwarts house? Oh, me, I'm a Hufflepuff. And if the other person goes, I'm a Hufflepuff too, then we'd already know we share some character qualities. We we like naps and coziness. <laughs> but that imaginary fantasy world allowed us to find a connection with each other that we wouldn't have had otherwise. It's the same thing, you know, Batman or Superman, you know, Marvel or DC. Uh, I think one of our first connections too was probably Doctor Who. Yes. Oh, Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Who's your, who's your doctor, you know, and who's <laughs> your favorite doctor. But again, if you don't understand that fandom, if you don't understand that, that culture surrounding that show, it doesn't make any sense to you. But if you do, if you're involved, that gives you an open door to connect with people who many times need the truth of scripture. Because one of the one of the hallmarks of science fiction, science fiction specifically, they ask questions. Sci-fi is all about asking the unanswerable questions of life. It's it is questions of morality and questions of identity and the value of human life and what is power and control and how should it be used and if you if you look at the history of science fiction there are so many questions that are asked that are desperately needing an answer from scripture so we as authors and christian storytellers are in a unique position to be able to give an answer to some of these big questions of life. But the people who need those answers aren't going to read historical romance. They aren't going to read a general romance novel. And there's nothing wrong with historical romance or romantic suspense. Those are wonderful, and I love those stories. But they don't always offer the opportunity to address these massive life questions about where does life begin, how creation is creation the thing? Where did this planet come from? Why is this life more important than this life? You know, who has the right to tell me what to do? Um, mm. Is God real? And those are not necessarily questions that lend themselves to non-speculative stories. Right. And so I believe as Christians, we need to be plugged into those genres because we can answer those questions. We have the truth. We know the answer. So let's let's get plugged in and write some weird stories that talk about the truth in a, in a language and in a way that the people who are reading these stories will connect with and resonate with. And that's that's why I believe that we need to be writing speculative fiction because we actually have answers that people are looking for. So, yes, we do. We do. This has been great. Amy, as always, you've done such a good job and brought oh, so I much to us. coming on here. You do a good job too, Linda. Yeah, all I did was listen. You're the best. <laughs> I make sure that I have the people that are on that can provide what we need. <laughs> and so with this, because this is really an educational program and to help people in the how-to and you have brought it today. You have brought it. Well, I have a I have a question I've been asking this season, and 
it's kind of a little bit, little bit different. Take us off topic for just a moment, mm-hmm. but I know that you have great giveaways and everything for our listeners today. But let me ask you this question. Amy Williams, what brings you joy? Oh, that's a good question. What brings me joy? Um, there are a lot of things that bring me joy. And if you ask me in a couple of weeks, it'll probably be a different answer. Um, cause I, I, I like to find joy in what God is doing. He's always doing something new in my life. So it changes on a regular basis. But the last time I was on the show back when I, I think I was talking about writing humor, I think, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and, and everybody's probably going to go back and listen to that episode. Now that episode was recorded in a hospital cafeteria while I was waiting for my, my best friend to see if she was going to have to give birth to her baby girl at 27 weeks or not. Long story short, she made it to 28 weeks and then her, her little baby girl was in the NICU for four months. And today I went for a walk with her and her baby girl outside and I got to hold her and snuggle with her. And she is a miracle, this child. She's a miracle. Mm. And that is currently what's bringing me a lot of joy is, is getting to see her smile and laugh and, and everything that she represents. She was born at 28 weeks. She was two pounds, four ounces. Mm. Um, and now she's like 12 pounds. I mean, she's just, and she's bright and happy and smart and alert. And she just represents so many answered prayers not only for her and for her survival and for her health, but also provision for her, her parents and their needs. They got COVID in the middle of it. Uh, he lost his job. I mean, and in the midst of all of that, the Lord still took care of them and provided for them. And mm-hmm. now on the other side of this, this baby is, she's perfect and not struggling with any of the problems babies born that early should be and so right so yeah right now that's what's making me probably obnoxiously happy (laughs) (laughs) oh that that is good because it does remind us that joy comes in the morning always and our mornings are are new every day mercies are new every single day and when we look to the father and his provision we can have that joy in spite of circumstances, right? There are a lot of people going through difficult stuff and God is sovereign and That's God right. is present. What a, what and a blessing. He's big enough. He's big enough to make something beautiful out of it. He is big enough. That is so yeah. good. Thank you so much for that, Amy. Thank you. Thank right. you. Well, what is it that you have to share with our listeners today? Oh, I have good things. I thought since Again, since speculative fiction is such a broad topic, I thought it might be helpful to have a fun uh, recommended reading list PDF for for folks. So I'll I'll make I'll have this little PDF for everybody. They can go download yeah. it, and it'll have some of my favorite books in different genres. And if anybody wants to talk, or they have questions, or if they've got a story that they're struggling with, or if they just need a sounding board. They can just go to my website and book a coaching session 
because I can talk about this stuff all day. This is this is one of my happy places. I'm just going to put this little plug out there, folks, that Amy is a great book coach. Go to the links that we have down there. She is amazing. It's affordable, but what she brings is priceless. I'll, I'll put it that way. Check out the links because we have our writing tips and soul care for the writer is in there every month. It's different. So you've got to check that out. It's got a link to our, oh, a link to our Facebook group. And here's what the announcement is. If you're listening to this and it's on the day that we air, and um, even if it's after the day that we air, you can go back and take a look. But I think that Amy and I are going to be doing a Facebook Live on the day that we air, and you'll find that on our group and be able to come in, and we're going to be answering questions. So like I said, during today's episode, if you have questions, join your Best Writing Life group and ask your questions specifically at that time as well please come and ask questions or otherwise linda and i we're just going to talk and cling on to each other we are (laughs) and she thought i didn't know it's okay Uh, and um we're also going to be at some point uh, amy i'm going to have you come back on talk about flash fiction and speaking about flash fiction there is a podcast called Havoc Story Podcast, H-A-V-O-K Story Podcast. I have the link that's down there as well where you can listen to some flash fiction that's being read, and it is fabulous, and I believe, Amy, you have at least three of them. There's a the gentleman who does the reading. His name is Magnus Carlson, and he's just delightful. He's amazing. Oh, he, uh, he really is. I love his energy. I love we, his energy that he that we he gives won, in that podcast. We won an award uh, this this year for for flash fiction, my story and his performance, and it's so much fun. <laughs> if anybody Fantastic. has, a, if you got five minutes, it's five minutes. Give That's it a listen. Right. It's a hoot. Give it a listen. It is great. We have all the links there. Amy, thank you so much for being on with us, girl. Greatly appreciate you. you And um, yeah, come back again, okay? I will. Okay, we'll let you know when. We'll make that a priority. (laughs) And thank you, folks, for being here today. Thank you, thank you, my friends. Please take a moment, if you would, and rate, because we want to know, what are you thinking about the programs? And then also just review because what you have to say matters as much as what you have to write. It really does. This is Linda Goldfarb, and I do look forward to being here with you next time on Your Best Writing Life.